Welcome to the Call Bible Study with pastor and men's expert, Kenny Luck. You know, we spend a lot of energy trying to avoid, minimize, or escape conflict and pressures that come with it. But you know what? We can't avoid it. The Bible promises conflict in our broken world. And you know, God is less concerned about the conflict, but how we respond to it, because that reveals who we really are and what we really believe. You know, the Bible also teaches that inner conflicts, while unwelcome, are loaded with God's purpose and blessing. In fact, when a man wins the inner battles of life, he will win more intimacy and closeness with God and people. And that's exactly what Kenny is talking about today. As we go live with Pastor Kenny at Crossline Church, take a moment to share this message. Now, here we go with part one of Core Conflicts. Good morning, men. Let's try it again. Good morning. Very good. Hey, I'm asking you to put me on your prayer list for the next six days, and I'll tell you why. Uh, first, I'm, I'm going to give you a picture of what, what I'm going to ask for. I don't know if, if any of you guys have seen the 300. You know, it's about the Battle of Thermopylae and the Spartans defending the hot gates. And, um, you know, when they assemble for battle, uh, they form a phalanx and they lock shields, right? And, uh, and they fight out of that. That's the picture I want in your mind, where we're, we're locking shields in phalanx, because the Bible says we raise the shield of faith, right? And that's where you parry the blow, and then you make a little space, and then out comes the spear, <laughs> right? Get that picture in your mind. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.12, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but our battle is against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Bible also says that the weapons that we fight with are not weapons made with hands, but they're spiritual weapons good for the destruction of strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. Strongholds, strongholds right. So the picture is of territory being held by evil, and then God and his people advancing to displace that evil and take back what evil has taken. And so I'm going to be headed to Eugene, Oregon in the Pacific Northwest. I'm going to be headed to New Orleans, Louisiana. And those are two theaters of battle where the Dangerous Good Conference is coming. And I confess that I need prayer. You know, uh, Brother Andrew said that that prayer is where the battle is won. What we do is the mop-up operation. Amen? That's right. We're battling spiritual forces of wickedness in our culture, you know, ones that have men held down, men creating suffering, men abusing their influence and power. And, and so our team at Every Man, we're going to go into those cities and we're going to meet with the church. That evil defeating machine, Jesus said, is supposed to take back territory from evil, and we're going to share the gospel, and we're going to advance the purposes of God through the Dangerous Good Conference, and so I really need uh, your prayer, so what I'm asking for is that you raise your shields with me, that we lock it, that we defend against the flaming missiles of any attack of evil against those events, and that we make a little space, and then that we bring the force of the gospel into the hearts of men. That's called the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel, making disciples of all the nations. And so that's what we're going to do, just like we do here. Uh, so raise your shield of faith with me, advance 
so God's power can advance in the hearts of men in those two cities, all right? So put me down on your list, amen? amen. All right, we're starting a new series. It's called Core Conflicts, all right? If you're watching online, we're starting this new series here from Crossline Church in Laguna Hills. Uh, Ronald Reagan said that peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the ability to handle, handle conflict by peaceful means. Uh, Stephen Breyer said, how people deal with conflict shows the kind of people they are. Isn't that true? It's not when you're on the yellow brick road of life or life's a bowl of cherries and everything's, you got peace in all these different areas of your life. The real man is revealed in the presence of pressure and conflict. And have you ever noticed that uh, you can't talk your way out of conflict you've behaved your way into? You have to behave your way out of conflicts that you've behaved yourself into. And kind of a, another observation is, you ever notice that when, when you're angry, you make the best speeches you, you would ever regret? Right? You're just like, you're so crystal clear, right? When, when you're heated and in the middle of conflict and then the words come out and, and, and so forth. But we spend a lot of energy as human beings either trying to avoid or minimize or escape or protect ourselves uh, from, from conflict, uh, good luck with that. Because Jesus promised conflict in this world. In John 16, 33, you know, he said, you know, don't, don't worry, I've overcome. He says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take courage, I've overcome the world. So there's going to be trouble in your life. There's going to be conflict in between, you know, when you've come to know Christ and when he comes for you or you go to him, uh, or he comes, there's going to be conflict and trouble, and we have to learn how to, to deal with the different types of conflict that, that we're going to encounter. But Jesus promises his power and his presence. Everybody say power and presence. Power and presence. He says, take courage. I've overcome the world. Repeatedly, he says, but I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you in the middle of this. And, and so you're either in one of four camps. Either you do conflict poorly all right, or you're learning how to do it better, or you do it well, or you just don't do it at all, <laughs> and you're in some delusional landscape that you've created for yourself. Um, but Jesus promises inner, inner stability in the midst of conflict. So we're going to look at, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at um, uh, the core conflict of relational conflict. That's today. You're going to want to dial that in. We're going to look at emotional conflict, spiritual conflict, and moral conflict. So if you're in the room, you can take out your notes uh, we're going to start with some relationship facts because we're going to look at relational conflict, all right? Now, here's the first fact with respect to core conflicts in relationships. Write this down. Conflicts present opportunities in relationships, all right? Now, we would tend to think that, no, they just present opportunities for destruction, mutually assured destruction. No, but if you know God and God can work through all things then there's opportunities in the midst of conflict. Secondly, conflict is inevitable, but destruction is optional. Conflict is inevitable, but destruction is optional. In today's kind of conflict-oriented culture where people get labels and people put themselves in camps and people dig in their heels, it's, it, they don't, you, you'd think that that's not true. It's like, no, uh, destruction is not optional. Destruction is necessary because I have to eliminate uh, the person. That's, if you're God's man, that's not God's plan. 
Uh, he wants you to work through it. So conflict is inevitable, but destruction is optional. Isn't that true, uh, especially in marriage? All you married guys, say amen. You know, because sometimes it's just, you know, it's like a grease fire. It just happens, and you're in the middle of it. And there's someone that you love in front of you. And you have to uh, not try to destroy them, okay? Um, where do conflicts come from? The Bible says this in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let's read that together. Ready? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So we want to, when, when you want to solve relational conflict, you have to go to where the conflict starts, and the conflict starts inside. It's where you have a fear, and you might want to write this down. Where do they, where do they come from? It comes from my fear that my goals, desires, or needs will be opposed or unmet. So you're headed in one direction, and you have expectations heading in that, that direction. And then all of a sudden, there's forces that come against your goals or your desires or your needs in the moment that they'll be opposed or unmet. And so now we have tension, and we have emotions, and we have conflict. Okay? Now, in the Bible, in those moments, we can be blessed if we try to do what Jesus tells us to do, which is to be a peacemaker. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the peacemakers. That's right. So you can't avoid conflict. Broken human beings who are flawed and imperfect come together. There's relational uh, tension. What's the source of uh, fights and quarrels and tension? Comes from the desires that, that battle within us or a fear that our goals, desires, or needs are going to be unmet. And in the midst of that moment, we have to, as God's men, learn how to make peace. And uh, that's not easy to do. So let's talk about how to be a great peacemaker, all right, and, and settle these core conflicts. Now, the first step to being a great peacemaker, number one, is admit I have a selfish nature. Admit you have a selfish nature. Now, why do you have to admit that? Because that's what God says is true about you. God says that man has a selfish nature. I mean, you even see it in a, in a positive command. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? We look out for number one, all right? We self-protect. We, we do things that move in our self-interest, right? We self-preserve. It's just our nature, okay? Uh, you never have to teach a toddler the words me, mine, or my, you ever notice that, all you, all you parents with kids? You know, they, they know how to, to say those words almost naturally. Uh, why? Not because necessarily you said, okay, Johnny, uh, I want to teach you the words mine and me and my, okay? They just, they know how to say it naturally. Well, the Bible calls that our selfish or sinful nature. In the Bible in Romans 7, uh, one of the greatest Christians ever talked about that, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul. Let's read that together. Ready? As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Isn't that a comforting passage of Scripture? I mean, when I blow it, 
I go to Romans 7. Or when I blow it, I go to Psalm 51. I'm comforted that the man after God's own heart, and one of the greatest Christians that ever walked the earth, are battling with their selfish nature. And I love what, what Paul says, for I have the desire, there's that word again on the inside, I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. All right, the second, the second step to being a great peacemaker is to answer the big question, what I would call the big question. And I, I put it right here in the notes, and the big question is this. Let's read it together. Who gets to decide how I handle conflict? That's a big question. Who gets to decide how you handle it? A lot of times, I know how I vote. I get to decide because I want my outcome. And I want to win. But that's not the right answer. God gets to decide how we handle conflict. God gets to decide how we make peace. God gets to decide how we're going to treat another person. Right? In the Bible, it recommends that we pursue not the I get to decide path, but another path. 1 Peter 5, 6. Let's read that together. Ready? Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So it doesn't matter what area of life or what level of conflict you're in, the Bible says in that moment, I need to humble myself and put myself under God and let him guide and control me in that situation. It's the old, you know, there's, there's someone in the A position and there's someone in the B position, right? And I'm in the B position. So there's potter and there's clay, there's vine and there's branches, there's creator and there's created, there's shepherd and there's sheep. Okay, that's how the Bible puts it, all right? So if I'm going to be a, be a great peacemaker, I have to look in the mirror and go, man, that's a selfish guy right there, and thank you, Adam, for that. Second is I have to answer the big question in relational conflict is who, who, what's my source of authority? Who gets to decide how I do it, all right? Third, I have to approach conflict proactively. Now, this, this, is, uh, this is hard because uh, I don't know about you, but my initial impulse when relational conflict comes is to withdraw. Why? Because there's negative emotions involved, you know, and negative emotions are kind of like smelly socks, right? You just kind of want to put them at the bottom of the hamper and forget about them, you know, and uh, I, I didn't grow up in a family that, you know, talked about feelings a whole heck of a lot and, and uh, where emotions were processed openly and, and things like that. But um, to go into it and address it is not my first impulse. It's kind of like to wish ill and avoid it and see how far I can keep it at bay. But that's not what Jesus said. In the context of um, men having a relationship with God, uh, Jesus said this. Let's read it together from Matthew eight, uh, 5, 24. Ready? First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So what Jesus is saying is that we're not okay if this isn't okay. First, go make this okay. And then this will be okay. Now, I, what I just said, for some of you, has direct application in this moment. You're at odds with somebody in your life. Could be a customer, could be a spouse, could be a child, could be whoever. 
And Jesus is saying, you know, as you come to me to worship, even as you come to open my word, as you come to pray, as you come to seek me for your life, uh, there's a relationship on a human level that isn't okay. Maybe it's fractured. Maybe there's tension. And Jesus is saying, first, go to them. Be reconciled to them. And then come and offer yourself uh, to me. In Romans chapter 14, uh, it says this. Let's read it together. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. I want you to circle, if you're taking notes or you have a Bible open, those words, make every effort. Versus what? A half effort or no effort. There's your options. I can make every effort. I can make a sort of effort, or I can make no effort, but the Bible says that I have to make every effort. And I think that's a word for me, and that's a word for you this morning. If you have relational conflict going in your life, ask yourself, am I making every effort to do what? What leads to peace and to mutual edification, all right? That means that we're building each other up. You get from a place of conflict to a place of peace, to you actually move into a space of, hey, we're actually encouraging each other and building each other up and we're, we're pulling for each other. Now that is peacemaking, where you start in one camp and then now you end in this other camp, which is we're building each other up. On your notes, I, I put a little scale there from zero to 10. And on the zero side, you have, well, I don't, I don't go first and be reconciled like Jesus commands, I wait. Okay, that, that would be zero. If you're in the middle, maybe you're like me, you kind of are like a boomerang. It's like, I'll come around eventually, I delay a little while, but you know, then I get convicted and, and then I come around to address the problem. And then there on the 10 side, it's no, you go. I gotta, I gotta address this with you. I gotta, I gotta get this into the open. So admit I have a selfish nature, that's the first step, all right? Secondly, answer the big question, who gets to decide how I do relationships and relational conflict? Third, I have to approach conflict proactively versus reactively or not at all, passively. Fourth, I have to acknowledge my part quickly. Wow, that's even harder. You notice that we're on a scale of progressive difficulty? You know, it's not hard for me to admit I have a selfish nature. Sometimes, though, I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it my way, all right? Approach conflict proactively, then acknowledge my part quickly. In the Bible, there's always an admonition to look at yourself first before you look at other people. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, it says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank where? In your own eye, all right? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Let's finish it together. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You ever notice that our tendency is not toward self-examination but judgment of how others are behaving? And, and God says, you got to flip that. You really have to get good at looking in the mirror and being honest with yourself, honest with God, because then you can be honest with other people. 
It's hard to be honest with other people and take responsibility for your part if you're not honest with yourself. Um, in, in, the, in 1 John chapter 1, it talks about what happens if you're not honest with yourself. Uh, it says this. Let's, let's read it together. 1 John 1, 8. Ready? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay? So you might want to circle we claim and then we deceive. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've gotten into relational conflicts where I make claims just because I behave myself into a conflict, then I start making claims about the other person that simply aren't true, and I'm just deceiving myself. Why? Because either I want to win, or I want to be right, or I don't want to lose power in the relationship, and I start saying stuff. Any guys ever started saying stuff? Yeah, it's amazing. The little lawyer comes out in me. You know that guy? It's like, oh, case seven, number 2715, Kenny Luck versus his wife. March out the first witness, and man, I, I present a great case, all right? But it's all self-deception. I'm deceiving myself. I'm inside, my, I know where it's coming from. There's, there's a fear in there that my goals are being thwarted, that my desires might not be met, or my needs might not be met, and I want them to be met and not thwarted, and there's an obstacle. Man, she's cute. That's my beautiful wife, all right? Or it might not be my wife. It might be somebody else. But I begin to marshal these arguments again. You know, I make the best speeches I'll ever regret, you know? And so on the scale, let's measure ourselves. When we're in conflict, uh, do we look at the other person or do we look at ourselves first? You know, we look at ourselves. So the goal is to move the needle, you know, the other way, all right, to examine yourself. And you know what a good way to do that is? Is prayer, where you put yourself before God and you present your life to God. And when you're with God and you see and experience his goodness and his holiness and his love, it kind of exposes who you are. And then you're grateful that you get to know him by his amazing grace, and his, his grace is in operation in your life, and then you can kind of bring that, that feeling and experience of being forgiven and looking at him and then seeing yourself more clearly into your relationships with other people, and you can be a giver of grace, right? So acknowledge my part quickly. So there's, there's your first steps to becoming a peacemaker. Now let's just kind of look at some practical stuff on how to diffuse the bombs that blow up relationships. You know, I put diffuse the bombs because if, if, you, ever, if you ever watch these shows where, you know, whatever, Jack Bauer or Jason Bourne or whatever, you know, and there's, there's always some terrorist and there's always a bomb that's going to go off. And then, you know, he's got he's to grab, you know, like, uh, like a waitress or a waiter to help him diffuse the bomb. And just like, you can do it take the snippers and cut the red wire. You know, it's like the clock's ticking down. It's kind of a metaphor for relationships sometimes. And God is, is saying, okay, you can do this, but you're going to have to cut the wire of your ego. And that will diffuse. Or you're going to have to cut the wire of your fear and pride. And uh, in, in the Bible, um, it gives us kind of a first, first little three steps um, in, in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Let's read it together. Ready? My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Everybody say, quick, slow, slow. Quick, slow, slow. One more time. Quick, slow, slow. Right, so be quick to listen, slow to, and slow to get angry. That's right. You see, that's God's desire and and disagreement. You notice that that the end game here is that the reason why there's a command to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry is that God has desires in your disagreements, and it's to produce the character of his son in you, to manifest the fruit of the spirit, one of which is patience, right, and to slow yourself down. You know, sometimes I get into conversations where people, have you ever been in conversations where people are so energetic and they're not listening that they're over-talking each other? You know, and it's just, there's this, there's like this constant over-talking. One person's talking, but the other person's talking over them. And then, the, and then because the other person's talking over them, they have to talk louder before the other person starts talking louder over them. And then it's just, you know, and just boom, 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 you know, where, you know, the Bible is, is it's like, if you want to diffuse this sucker, shut your pie hole, be quiet, listen, all right? And, um. The reason is, is that God has desires in your disagreements. Look what it says here in Romans 12, verse 18. Let's read it together. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, there is God's desire. He wants you to be at peace. Not going to avoid the conflict. All right. God says that his desire is peace. So in the middle of the conflict, be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to get angry. Now, I'm going to tell you someone, the name of someone, who has a vested interest in you not being quick to listen and you being fast, all right, to speak and fast to become angry. His name is the devil because the devil hates healthy relationships. He hates a healthy connection, and he wants to speed up your fear that your desires won't be met. He wants to speed up your pride. He wants you to go to DEFCON 5, you know, and pull out a howitzer to kill a fly, you know? And so what's God's plan in the middle of that? There's, he wants, he has desires, but so does the devil in disagreement. He wants to divide you from people and divide you from God through the conflict. So here's, here's some, some tips here, in the middle of disagreement, don't escalate it. Write that down. Don't escalate, but do seek truth. You ever notice that usually in an argument or a conflict with somebody, the symptom is not the root, right? Where there's, you know, you might be experiencing like short answers back to you or, uh, you know, she's as cold as ice, you know, and you're kind of wondering and there's interactions up here. And you just kind of go, what's going on? What's, what's underneath all that? Well, that's usually the way conflict works. It's not, the problem doesn't exist at the level at which you finally experience it. Amen? There's usually something underneath there, and you have to get to that, or else this isn't going to be solved. There's no, going to be no peace. So don't escalate it, but do seek the truth. Secondly, don't tear down, but do own truth. You see, most conflict is a search for truth. And once you find it, 
now you got you got you can get your arms around the problem and you can begin to take steps. But you know, in, in these little tips, you can see that God desires for us to seek truth and to own truth about ourselves in the midst of conflict relationally. But Satan, no man, he's like, no, escalate this sucker and tear down the other pu- person in the process and put them in their place and 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 hold them down and put them in a chokehold so that they tap out and they give up, right? That doesn't accomplish God's desires, all right? So let's look at some now specific steps. Those are some general principles. Don't escalate, but do seek the truth. Don't tear another person down, but do own the truth. And that's probably one of the hardest parts about conflict is that when a truth surfaces and it's about you, you got to be a man to own it, all right? All right, now let's look at some specific steps, all right? Step number one, seek to understand versus what? Win. In conflict, is, is that really the goal? Is it always to win or is it to seek to understand the other person, all right? Number two, step two, seek to talk less, all right? Again, there's, there's quick, slow, slow. Talk less. Right? I know that's, gonna, that's a stretch for a lot of us. Especially for me, because I love words, all right? And I like to use words to uh, persuade people, all right? The problem in conflict of using words to persuade people is that I'm persuading them in a selfish way. So talk less. Step three, listen more. Uh, you knew that was coming, all right? If, if step two is talk less, all right? And step three is listen more. Now, talking less means fear is not in control, but there's... The Holy Spirit, God's power in you, um, you're talking less, you're being patient, fear isn't in control. Listen more, that's a sign that faith is in control. Because fear and pride move me to want to talk more and to make my case and to win. Faith, all right, moves me to listen more. And man, doesn't it take faith to kind of take it and listen in the midst of relational conflict? And then step four, and this is, this is the, the purpose for the whole study, is seek to glorify God. Seek to glorify God. There's some bomb-diffusing advice, um, and, and I just want to talk a little bit about some of that, all right? Now, hearing is different than listening. You know the difference, right? Hearing is a biological miracle. I could stop talking and I can hear the fan, all right? That's, that, that helps me engage my environment. Listening is an acquired skill. It's not a biological thing. It's an acquired skill that requires some character on the inside. And listening doesn't help me interact with my environment. Listening helps me interact with people. Big difference between hearing and listening. And Satan loves a bad listener, all right? Let's say that together. Satan loves a bad listener. Why? Because bad listeners kill intimacy. How can I get close to you if I don't feel heard? Or if I say things and it goes right through your head? Or if I'm saying things and you're thinking of things to say back to me when I'm saying things to you in the midst of me saying them to you? Bad listeners kill intimacy. Bad listeners create resentment. I don't know about you, but in relationships, if people don't know how to listen, I start to get a little 
angry inside. It's like, no, you're not hearing me. You're not hearing what I'm saying. I'm trying to tell you something. And now, because you're, you're, you're not listening well, and you're quick to speak, and you're fast to anger, uh, I'm beginning now, the anger is starting to come up in me. Uh, and then when those two things happen, when the, the intimacy is gone because I'm not listening, and the resentment starts to build, now it increases my vulnerability to sin. Do you know that if you're a bad listener, you put the person that, that you're not really listening to into a bad position because A, you're cutting off relationship with them, B, you're creating resentment on the inside, and when you create resentment in another person, a negative emotion, that increases their vulnerability to doing something in the middle of that resentment, saying something, doing something that they're going to regret, all right? So you see how Satan is so invested in bad listening. Now, I realize there's, there's some natural kind of barriers to listening, you know. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't want all the details, amen? But guess what? Sometimes I'm going to have to take the details, right? Uh, and sometimes I don't listen very well because I'm familiar with the person talking to me. And there's this little voice in my head that says, yada, yada, yada. Anybody else? Just kind of like, yeah, I know you. I would expect you to say that. You say that, you know, familiarity. And then there's another factor in my life that prevents me from being a good listener, and that's my agenda, okay? Where, okay, if I really listen to what you say, I might have to do something. And right now, I want to go have a craft beer and watch ESPN, all right? Or whatever, right? I have an agenda that I want to do. Um, and then, you know, if you're, if you're built like me, I'm not real good at feelings. I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not the best there. You know, in my home growing up, the way you dealt with things is you hit something. Or my dad would say, go in the garage and grab the boxing gloves. You know, when you have five boys in a family, that's how you solve problems. And just go fight it out, you know. So um, this whole aspect of listening is, is very important. In fact, it's so important, I put... Uh, a good definition of it down. Listening, and I want us to read this together, all right? Listening means that when another person is speaking, you are not thinking about what you are going to say when the other person stops talking. I just convicted everybody in the room, <laughs> right? We're guilty, right? Now, a um, few more tips on this, and then we're going to look at Scripture but um, when you're listening to another person, all right, here's some advice. No extra charge for this, all right? Validate versus fix, okay? When you're listening to someone and they're sharing something with you, um, the first words out of your mouth should not be. You shouldn't feel that way. You know, I mean, here's why, and here's why you shouldn't feel that way. Reason A, reason B, reason C, and reason D, all right? But you could say, you know, wow, okay, if I understand what you're saying, you're saying, you're not agreeing, you're just saying, I understand what you're saying is, this is, this is how you, where you started, and this is how your thoughts evolved, and this is where you are now, okay? Everyone loves to go, yeah, that's right, yep, that's exactly, that was my process, yep, that's right. So validate versus six. And then th this is a physical 
coaching tip on good listening is turn and face versus talk into space. Like, you know, have you ever had a conflict where you like keep doing the dishes or keep watching your TV show and you're, you're, you're talking and boy, that sends a really good message to the person you're trying to make peace with, right? It's like, it's like you know, when your kids were little and you have to grab their face and say, look at me, all right? Physical eye contact validates the other person. You know what it says? It says, Doug, you're here, right? Martin, you're here. RC, you're here. I see you. You see my body language. You see me communicating back. I recognize you're here. So turn and face a person and, and grab a hold of their eyes so that they know that you're there versus like get distracted and talk into space and just say, hey, oh, wait a sec. I got to get this. You know. Third, repeat versus delete. All right. When I repeat what you say, that's a sign that I was listening to what you said. All right? And then lastly, last tip is act versus ignore. You want to make peace with someone and you have understood what, what, what the root of it was, you've listened, and then you want to glorify God, when the truth comes out, take action versus ignore the conclusion. All right? Take action. That Man, you want to make peace? Take some action. Okay. Well, you know what? I, I'm sorry. I get it. Or, man, I, I had no idea that that's how you were thinking about that, and uh, I'm going to try not to do that anymore, or I'm going to work with you, or I, want, I don't want you to feel that way. Uh, and everything that I'm telling you, it's like, I didn't start here. I have worked this out in the crucible of blowing it. Any other guys do that? I mean, I have, I have, prob- I have messed up more conflicts than I've, I've actually resolved. Uh, but God has a desire in disagreement, and it's to seek truth and to own truth and to glorify him and build up other people and for me to learn patience and to not let anger control me. I hate that. I don't know about you, but I hate it when an emotion takes over my body. I feel so small. I feel like a, like a kid. And God says, that doesn't have to be that way. In any relationship, in any conversation, you can be a peacemaker. So I have a scale here on, on this side, zero. And when I'm, when I'm in conflict with another person, am I all in my own head? Or am I focused on the other person's words? You know, that, that's, that's just kind of conflict resolution 101. You know, if you're in your own head, this isn't going to be resolved. But if you're really focused on seeking truth and owning truth and getting to the truth and glorifying God and understanding, uh, you, might, you might find peace a little faster. Now, what's the model for us in terms of motivating us uh, to be peacemakers? Well, it's Jesus himself, 2 Corinthians 5. 17 through 19, it's a great little truth about if we're in Christ, then there's a certain uh, way that, that we act, and it says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Let's finish this first, this passage together, ready? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And so there's the model. And it's interesting, if I'm in Christ, 
The new, new, I'm going to become new. That's what the Bible says. The next sentence says, the first way I'm going to become new is I'm going to reproduce the experience of what God did with me through Christ, which was what? He made me a friend from an enemy. I put down the definition of reconciliation, the biblical word, and it means the adjustment of a difference. In the New Testament, the restoration of the favor of God to who? Sinners. The restoration of the favor of God to sinners. So if you're a follower of Jesus, what happened in that whole transaction? Well, God sent Jesus to die on a cross for my sin so that I could stop being an enemy of God and I could start being a what? Friend of God. And so when that's the inception of my relationship with God, I should be good at giving that same experience away to the people in my life. I should be good at being making a, 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 an adjustment so that the differences could go away and we could make peace and connect. Now, I realize that you can't always win peace with people who don't want to be at peace. Okay? I get it. Okay? It's not always going to happen the way I'm talking about it. Now, where we listen and we understand and we seek truth and we're slow to speak and slow to, you know, slow to anger and quick to listen. You can do all those things and people can just go, yeah, but you're a, you're a tool and I don't want to talk to you. Okay? But the model is I got I to gotta make every effort. Everybody say every effort. Every effort, right? Make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So the question this morning is, is that what you're doing? Now, some of you are here and you're like, I'm not at conflict with anybody. Just wait. Your, your time's coming, all right? So you're, you're in nice, smooth sailing, all right? Storm's coming. That, that's the way it is on earth. You know, you don't get total peace till you get with Jesus, okay? But God wants us to be peacemakers. So conflict is inevitable, but destruction is optional. And can I just say, you can't do this on your own power. If you're listening to me and you don't have Christ in your life, you need his power to help you act like this. And it's a sign that you're a new creation. How you do relationships and how you resolve conflict is a sign that Christ is actually in your life and his spirit is, in, is at work and that the fruit of his spirit is coming out of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Aren't those all aspects of having good relationships? Right? And that's what he wants to do for you. So let's bow our heads and let's ask him to do it, all right? Jesus, we need you. We need you to make our lives work. And our lives don't work right when our relationships aren't working right. And so we invite you into our lives right now. Please forgive us. Please forgive our sin. Please forgive our pride and our ego that destroys the very people in our lives that you died for. And God, help us to reproduce what you did for us. Sacrificing 
our own agendas and position or perceived position so that we can make peace, just like you did with us. God, thank you for handing us that ministry of reconciliation that when we come to know you, you call us into this peacemaking lifestyle because you made peace with us. So right now, we we confess that we can't do that on our own power. And we ask you to fill us with the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, we receive you right now. Fill us and lead us and take over our bodies and our emotions so that we can be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry, so that we can seek truth and own truth and accomplish the purposes, even in the midst of conflict that you have for us, O oh God. Help us to glorify you. Help us to be good, good conflict diffusers, Lord. And for, for the relationships in the room right now that are fragmented and that are on the edge, Lord, I pray through your power right now you would use the man in this room that is in that position, Lord, to defuse the bomb through the power of Christ. We pray for the people in our lives that we're estranged from and distant from right now. We pray for reconciliation. We ask for you to move in power, to move in us, Jesus, to move toward them, to go and first be reconciled to them before we come back to you. Help us to make every effort today to be peacemakers through the power of Jesus. In your name we pray and God's men said,